I stared straight ahead in the car because I knew I couldn't look left or right. And I knew that if I looked, if I looked to my right, I, I would see her. And that if, if I saw her, then I would have to look at her. And it would make it even harder to say, I just don't love you. We'd been engaged for like a year and a half, and the whole time we were engaged to be married, I knew I didn't want to marry her, but I couldn't quite figure out how to get out of it. It was this weird snowball effect that just kept going, and I was 21 and clueless, and I just kind of happened and it kept going and going and going and I wasn't sure how it happened or why it happened or why it was happening and it just kept on happening and so here we were a few months out from the wedding and I knew that I had to get out and now and so we met up in a parking lot and we sat in my car and I just stared straight ahead and I said I I don't love you I can't marry you this has to stop today. And she took the ring off and she put it in the middle of the console of, of the red 2005 Hyundai. And, and she didn't have a lot to say, but she was a little bit unsure of what else to say. And it was this weird, awkward thing where we had spent most every day together for the last two or three years. And now, this was the last time I was going to see her, and I, I didn't know what else to do. And she walked out of my car and drove and got back to her car and drove away. And I, and I drove back home that night to the house that I was living in at the time. I, at the time, I lived in, in Bracken County. And so I, I pulled up to 212 Bradford Road, Foster, Kentucky, 41043. And the house was dark. And it had been dark before. I'd been living there by myself the whole time. We weren't yet married, so I was living alone. But there was something different about it this time. I walked into a dark house by myself. And I didn't turn any lights on because I just didn't feel like it. And as I, as I walked into the dark house this, last, this one time, and I, I couldn't quite describe it, and as the days rolled on, I started to feel oddly lonely. I mean, there were people that I talked to at the church that I worked at. There were family members who were calling to check on me. They kept telling me that I made the right decision and that they were proud of me. And everyone, everyone agreed with what I did. And they think that, you know, that, that they knew that this was, this was what God wanted. And, and this was God's plan for my life. And that everything was going to work out and everything was going to be fine. But when the phone hung up and when the conversations were over, the, the house at 212 Bradford Road was quiet. And it was always dark. And those words would just kind of ring through the house. This is what God wanted. We're proud of you. And I would say to myself, this is what he wanted? This, this is how he wanted me to feel? I remember, um, this will surprise you, but I've never been much of an exerciser, but um, But I had to dig through a few boxes to find what might be the closest thing I had at the time to running shoes. And, 
and I, and I put on running shoes, and I decided to go running. And in Bracken County, there's no place to actually run. And so I just was running on, on the country road that I lived on, and about a mile away from my house, maybe a tenth of a mile, I'm not sure. It felt like forever was the church that I was working at, and I knew where the Haida key was, and I just, I, I got there, and I had to stop because I wasn't exercising anymore. And it was dark in the church. And I unlocked the door, and I walked in, and I didn't want to turn the lights on because it was dark. And I walked up to the front row of the sanctuary, and I'd been in that office a hundred times. I'd been in the building a thousand times, and and I sat in the front row and I said, so this, this is what you wanted, huh? And it had been like a month at that point. And I was sick of listening to talk radio so that I could hear voices other than my own. And I, I, was, I was pretty tired of, of people calling to check on me. But I was alone and I was bored. And I said, so this, this is how this is going to go from now on. This was the plan. This is it. And it was dark. And I cried. Because in that moment of that darkness, in that moment of that loneliness, I started to think, maybe this is all there is. Maybe this is the end of the plan. And I started to shout, where are you? Where are you? And I wanted God to boom out from the, the speakers or, or to come up behind me or any of those things and say, here I am, this is the answer. But, but in that moment, that, the words just kind of hung in the stillness of the room. And there I sat just crying out, where, where are you? Where? Where? And some of you know that feeling. Because it wasn't at the front row of a church, but for you it was in a desk chair. As you stared at the computer screen yet again, because this is now week 54 of your unemployment, and you've seen every listing on monster.com, and you have the ones memorized. You know all the key words of what they're looking for. Your resume is more perfected than anybody else could ever have imagined. You've had it checked. You've had it passed on. You've, you've, had, it, you've had interview after interview. You're so tired of saying that I'm a people person who gets along and is a team builder and synergy and all those other corporate buzzwords that you think they're looking for. But it doesn't seem to get in the right hands at the right time. And they go with somebody with a little more experience and a little better degree. And so you know that feeling of saying, where are you? Because come next Monday when everybody else settles back down and the rest of the world goes back to normal, normal for you will be monster.com. Any new job openings today? Any new rejection letters in the mail? And your spouse has been supportive, but the tension is building because the savings account has been dwindling. And you're not sure what else you guys are going to do at this point, but you have to do something. And maybe Lowe's is going to hire you, or maybe Walmart, but you, you can't make it much longer. The unemployment's about to run out. And you know that feeling of where are you? 
Maybe you know where are you because this is the third Christmas in a row that your house has been dark. It's been dark because you haven't bothered putting up the Christmas tree since they were gone. And they had died in February and died in April, but that, that, that year it was too hard, so you weren't going to put it up that year. But then the next year rolled around. So I didn't put one up last year, and I, I just don't know if I have it in me. And so now it's, it's the third Christmas, it's the fifth Christmas, it's the seventh Christmas, whatever it is for you, that you haven't put the Christmas tree up because it, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like that bright of a time. There's not really a need for light when everything else seems so dark. And so when you pull into your house and your neighbors have all the lights up, and when you pull into a house and you remember that there's not a tree in the window, there's not any candles, there's not any inflatables in the yard, there's nothing like there used to be, and that moment comes when you walk in the door and you drop your keys on the counter. That's that moment every night when you say, yeah, this was the plan? Where, where are you? Because it's pretty dark in my house. It's pretty dark where I live. And Christmas is this happy time for other people and they love celebrating and they invite you over, but you just tell them no because it's not worth it to you. The heartache of dealing with, with what happens and the grief that comes from remembering that there's one less present under the tree is something you can't handle. And so you just say, where, where are you? Maybe for you, Christmas is hard because it was hard to walk in this room today. It was hard to walk in this room today because you're carrying a secret that you hope nobody finds out. And you're carrying a secret that you hope nobody finds out for the next uh, 24 to 48 hours until you can get back home. And once you get back home, you can get back into your routine and doing your thing. But you had to come home for Christmas. You had to come back to see mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and you've got to hide the secret for the next 24 or 48 hours. And so you're here right now, and you're, and you're thinking, and you're like, I, I, don't know, I don't know if I can make it. Maybe that secret is, is an addiction. Maybe that secret is a, a life. I, I don't know what that secret is for you. But that secret is going to cause you to lay awake tonight in the bed that you laid in when you were a kid. And that secret is going to cause you to, to tomorrow at some point think, I just, I just need to go outside for just a little while. I, I can't handle any more of this family togetherness. And wh whatever point it comes to for you, is there going to come a point where you start to walk by yourself or you start to lay awake by yourself and you find yourself saying, yeah, where are you? Where are you? Right? I mean, my, my family tells me that there's a God. They're celebrating this God at Christmas, but well, I don't, I don't know if I'm buying it. And so you know that darkness. Maybe you know that darkness every night when you go to bed because you lay awake 
And you lay awake because the person lying next to you is your darkness. And as soon as I started talking about breaking off an engagement, you thought I would give anything to go back and have done the same. But here we are 30, 40, 50 years down the road and we can't break it off now. We're, we're married. We can't get divorced. We've got grandkids. We can't get divorced. It's too complicated. We, we can't figure this out. Our marriage really can't be saved. We're really just cellmates at this point. And so you lay awake while they're snoring on their side of the bed. You don't even bother to elbow them to wake up because you don't even want to talk to them. And you just lay awake and you think in your mind, where are you? Where are you? Is this the union? Is this the, the, the promise that you gave to me that this would be what, 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 joint, what man, no man could take apart? And I just wish somebody would, God, because this is misery. This is the darkness that everyone else doesn't seem to know, but I know. Maybe for you, that darkness is the parenthood that no one else seems to hate but you. And being a parent is a miserable life for you because your kids are bad. And everyone else calls their kids a blessing, and you think, are they 18 yet? Maybe for you, you heard about somebody on unemployment, and you think, I'd give anything for a week off, because my job is ruining me. Maybe your darkness is every time you walk in here, because you've been hurt by the church too many times. Maybe your darkness is not that you're addicted, but somebody in your family's addicted. And it's turned your world upside down. I don't know, but I know that there are not a person in this room who doesn't know darkness. And nobody wants to talk about darkness at Christmas time. Nobody wants to talk about it because it's not merry and bright, because that's not what Hark the Herald Angels sing, and that's, that's what I love about Christmas. But the truth about Christmas is the first Christmas, the one that happens in the manger, happens at one of the darkest times in human history. It happens when a whole nation is standing up and saying, hey, where are you? You see, God had been working through these people called the Israelites for as the beginning of time. And he'd been sending messengers and prophets and miracles and all sorts of stuff. But then there's this thing that happens in the Bible that we call the 400 years of silence where the, the, the last prophet, Malachi, says some things and then he stops. And then there's 400 years where God doesn't speak, doesn't work, doesn't show up, doesn't do any miracles, and the people of Israel are just going through their day-to-day -day life. And what makes matters worse is in that time they get overtaken. They were being ruled by the Greek Empire, which was eh, not terrible, but pretty bad. But then they get overtaken by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was not the place they wanted to be. Because in the Roman Empire, they call it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But for the Israelites, it was anything but peace. 
Every couple hundred yards, there was a Roman soldier there with his, with his sword ready, just to remind you that if you get out of line, we'll take care of you. Any sign of a revolution, any sign of a gathering of just more than a few Israelites other than at the temple at designated times, they were going to break it up, and it wasn't going to be a peaceful breakup. You walk down this one road on this place called the, the Skull, and almost guaranteed on any day you could find several if not several dozen men hanging on a cross, being killed for anything from theft and robbery to hmm, blasphemy. And so this time when, when, when this happens is not, is not a good time. It's a time when they live under tyranny. It's a time when they live under misery. It's a time when an entire nation is saying, where are you? It's a time when people like shepherds, the lowliest, the dirtiest, the, most, the least intelligent group, are laying out in the field one night. Mind you, they're working the night shift of the dumbest person's job. So they're the lowest of the low. And the angels come to them, and the angels say, hey, I bring you good news. And the, angel, and the shepherds are laying on the field going, good news? We've never seen good news. It's been dark for us our whole lives. The darkness happens even not in Israel. It happens in the Far East. Because there are some guys who have a lot of money, who have a lot of clout, but who realize that there's something more. And they've noticed this darkness, this, this weight that's hanging on them. You see, they've had it all together for as long as they've wanted, but they still feel something more. And we don't know this for sure, but we assume that they probably worshipped dozens, if not hundreds of gods. But there was this gnawing at them that said there's still something more. So they probably didn't ask, where are you? Their question was probably more, what are you? What are you? But then one night they saw a star, and they had spent so long studying the sky and so long studying the stars that they knew this star was different. In fact, they knew it was so different that they packed up and prepared for a journey for months to follow because they knew that that star was leading them somewhere that meant something. And so they said, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to find out. And they journey all the way from where they're from, across desert, across mountains, across, across all sorts of unimaginable things, and they get to this tiny little town of Bethlehem. And then Luke, Matthew, or Mark chapter 2, it tells us that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Because for so long they had been waiting, for so long they had been searching, for so long they had been in this darkness, this wandering, this searching, and they had been saying, what are you? And then the star just pointed them in this direction, in this moment, in this time, and it said, here, this is what you're looking for. This is what you're searching for. And they were overjoyed. The darkness ended at the star. But if you want to talk about darkness at the Christmas story, I think that what gets overlooked a lot of times is somebody like Joseph. Joseph. 
He gets so romanticized, Joseph and Mary both, that you forget that this is a guy who was put in what we assume to be an arranged marriage. He's probably 18 to 22 years old, maybe a little bit older, working in a family construction business. And then one day, this 14-year-old girl who he's arranged to be married to comes up to him and says, I have to tell you, I'm pregnant. And the darkness kind of overcomes him in that moment. And it gets a little worse when she says, and I have to tell you that it's by the Holy Spirit. And so he tries to figure out, like, how am I going to deal with this? Because she's obviously got some issues. There's obviously some things going on. You know, it wasn't me. I, I know that. There's, there's some things happening here. I need to be able to deal with this privately. I, I don't want to have her shamed. And he's going through all of this. And I can imagine him laying awake the one night, just laying in bed going, what am I going to do about this? Imagine the darkness in Joseph's life. That moment that he says to God, God, where are you? And in the story of Joseph, an angel appears and says what she says is true. What she says is real. And so there's some light in his life and the darkness ends. But there's still this cloud that hangs over them for months and months of the pregnancy because no one else in town is going to believe them that angels showed up. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's what happened mm, all the time. And so as the town snickers and snorts and as the town talks and gossips, Joseph and Mary are dealing with the weight of what's going on and what's happening around them. And Mary, most of all, is carrying this, this shame and it's not shame to you and me because we know the whole story. It's not shame to you and me because she is Mary. But to that town, to those people, it's a different story. And for months and months, the people would stare and talk. And they would point. And they would laugh ridicule, and the darkness would overcome her. But then one night, after a long journey to their new town of Bethlehem, she gives birth. And some shepherds show up from far away and they say, look, there, there's the angel that announced this to us and you won't believe what's going on and you won't believe it. We know that this is the king. We know that this is the Messiah. We know who this is. And Luke tells us that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I have no doubt that the darkness finally started to fade for Mary. When the light came into her life. There's another lady in this story that um, gets overlooked but might be one of the best parts of this story. There's a lady named Anna. And Anna is 84 years old when this story happens. 
And in in typical Middle Eastern culture in this time, she probably had been married when she was about 13 or 14. And all all that Luke tells us is that she was married for seven years. So we'd assume that about age 21, her husband died. And then, Luke tells us, she spent the rest of her life in the temple waiting and praying for the Messiah. So at age 21, Anna loses her husband. She then dedicates the next 63 years of her life to spending time in the temple, waiting, praying, fasting, hoping, spending moments in this darkness saying, God, where are you? You see, the promise to end this darkness, the promise to end all of, all, of the, all of the devastation, the promise to end this hopelessness was God's promise of the Messiah. And Anna had spent 63 years alone in the temple, fasting, waiting, praying, God, where are you? Where is your promise? And then a few days after Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, as was the custom of their day. And coming up to them at that very moment, this is the story of Anna in Luke chapter 2, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of of Jerusalem. She had waited 63 years and had prayed and had hoped and had begged God, had pleaded with God, had hoped, had, had, had just waited and hoped for everything else amongst any other way. Is there any chance that the Messiah could come, that the darkness could end, that the light could finally come into the world? Please, every day, 365 days a year for 63-some years, Anna waited and prayed, God, end this darkness. And then one day, a young couple walks in, and they walk in with a little boy, And she runs over and she says, this is the one. This is the one that we had been promised. This is the one that we have been waiting for. This is the one that we knew was coming. This is the one who we have been waiting for. And everyone went, a baby? Are you sure? A baby? And then there comes this moment when God's plan starts to unveil itself. And the baby grows into a man. And as the baby grows into a man and things start to change, and as, as things start to change, Jesus starts to unveil that the darkness will lift but not like anyone expected. 
You see, people of Israel, their whole life had expected the darkness to lift by someone coming and taking a sword and overthrowing Rome and giving Israel its own king forever and giving it everything it had ever wanted all the time, forever and ever, and everything good and fine and perfect and everything would just be okay. But instead, what happened is something totally different. You see, the darkness came one more time. The darkness came one day when that baby was about 30 years old. And that baby was nailed to a cross. And in the middle of the day, that baby was on that road called Golgotha where dozens and hundreds of other men like him had been nailed to a cross by that dark Roman Empire. And other men just like him had been killed for crimes that seemed so insignificant but were, were so brutally killed anyway. And in that moment, darkness fell. It was about noon on a Friday, and the sun fell from the sky. And darkness descended on all of Israel. And no one knew what to make of it. But that was the darkness. The darkness. And as he cried out his last breath and he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Everyone started to understand. And they put him down off the cross. And everyone started to put everything together. That this was the darkness, and, and the darkness was going to lift, and all of it started to come together, and it didn't all make sense until three days later when he rose from that very grave. And when he rose from that grave, the darkness was lifted. And so this is what I say to you today. You may be in the midst of your darkness. You may be in the midst of a plan that you don't understand, that you don't comprehend, but I tell you this much. I tell you that there is a God who sees your darkness and who is shining a light through it, and that light is Jesus.